afternoon and welcome to the Privacy Podcast brought to you by Buckhalter, a professional corporation, a law firm up and down the West Coast with nine offices between California, Arizona, Washington, and Oregon. I'm joined today by William Miller, a shareholder in our Los Angeles office, and Weiss Hamid, a, an associate in our Los Angeles office. My name is Daniel Zarchi. I'm an associate in our San Francisco office. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you for having me again. I heard that there is going to be theme music this time around. I haven't had the opportunity to listen to it yet, but I am very excited for that. There, there is indeed, and it, I'm very excited about it. So excited, in fact, that I, I went back and added it back into episode one. So anybody who is starting to listen now, hopefully you'll, you'll catch it there, but it, it's great music. Um, so Weiss, you were here last time. Will, why don't you just give us a brief introduction into yourself? What you do outside of the privacy field and what you do in the privacy field, and then we'll get started. Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a shareholder in the Los Angeles office. I focus on complex civil litigation and regulatory work, primarily in the direct selling field on the regulatory work. And I also do a lot of ADA counseling for various businesses. Uh, privacy, I got into really through the direct selling field and advising uh, various direct sellers nationally on and internationally on their CCPA and GDPR requirements. And uh, that's been my focus for the last couple months. Well, great. So uh, I'm very excited for today's podcast. We're going to be talking about privacy in the COVID field, particularly some bills that have been introduced or discussed in Congress relating to COVID and relating to contact tracing. Then we're going to be talking about biometrics and in particular, what big lawsuits have been affecting the biometrics field, including how so or some concerns that Congress may have to think about when it comes to um, some of the biometric issues facing today. So first, uh, let's talk about some of the important deadlines coming up. And the most important deadline is, of course, July 1st, the enforcement deadline for the CCPA. Now, the Attorney General has submitted the final proposed regulations for the CCPA to the California Office of Administrative Law. That gives them a 30-day deadline plus 60 extra days for COVID-related reasons. The Attorney General's office has asked for expedited review, but we'll see what ends up happening with that. Now, we were just talking about whether that would actually affect CCPA enforcement. And Will, you had some thoughts on that. Yes, I think it is certainly possible that the state AG will come in and start enforcing the law as of July 1st, but it's not probable. The delay, it's really a matter of a practical issue. If the regulations were to spring into being on the 30th of June, and regulation was, and the enforcement was to start on July 1st, it isn't much of a difference or a distinction, right? Because you're not going to have a person be able to comply with all of the new regulations. If they started on the 30th, there's no way they'd be complying on July 1st. And so it's something that businesses need to be focusing on now. The chances of the uh, third iteration of the draft uh, regulations being adopted are extremely high. So as the regulations sit today and as the law sits today, I think a business would be wise to enhance their compliance efforts now to try to meet the July 1st deadline if possible, even if it's not probable that it will be enforced as to any specific business as of July 1. Yeah, you know, to Will's point, uh, 
this is there's a lot of back things that companies have to do especially when it comes to the look back period and especially when it comes to as soon as you start receiving your requests for information from your customers and and even at at later points your own employees so it is strongly advisable that whether or not the AG decides July 1st is the exact day of enforcement that companies start, if they haven't started already, to start looking into their data inventories, making sure that they know not only where their information is being stored, but what information is being stored and what information, and most importantly, what information they're sharing out to their third parties or their uh, service providers. Yeah. So there you go. Companies listening to this. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know that enforcement is coming and we know that compliance takes some time. So please get your ducks in a row with plenty of time to spare. So let's move on. Uh, First, we're going to talk about a couple of bills that were recently proposed in Congress relating to COVID privacy issues. The first is called the COVID-19 Consumer Data Protection Act, which was proposed by Senate Republicans. The second is the Public Health Emergency Privacy Act, which was proposed by Democrats. Now, there is some overlap between the two. The Republican bill, for which I'll refer to shorthand, covers uh, precise geolocation data, proximity data, public health information, and covers companies subject to the FTC Act, basically companies that would... uh, collect this data that would deal with public health data. The Public Health Emergency Privacy Act deals with very similar set of companies, but also those that operate websites or other apps or anything that tracks, screens, monitors, does contact tracing relating to COVID. Now, there is, again, some overlap in terms of the obligations imposed by the bills They require companies that collect this specialized health and location data to publish privacy policies. Um, They need to regularly publish how many individuals uh, of data they've collected, what data they've collected, and for what purposes. And they face enforcement by the FTC. The biggest difference between the two, the Democrat bill does cover more information and more businesses, but it also includes a private right of action. The Republican bill does not include the private right of action. So what we've seen from CCPA, at the very least, is that this this private right of action or relying on government agencies to enforce the bill can be very different. Uh, Will, did you have any thoughts on how we might see enforcement under either of these two bills? Well, obviously, the biggest difference is the private right of action, which is not included in Uh, the CCPA or other bills like it at the state level, and it's not included in it for good reason at this point, Uh, putting aside any, uh, just as a practical matter, if you allow for a private right of action on a law with very technical requirements that require businesses a certain amount of time to get up to speed, and especially in this environment where it's challenging for any business uh, given the restrictions on movements and sales, if you were to put an extra layer of regulatory re- requirements on top of them at this point, 
it would be one, incredibly burdensome, and two, it would expose those businesses to lawsuits from private plaintiffs, you know, some meritorious maybe, but some not meritorious. And either way, it puts a further tax on business. Whereas if you do not have a, if you, if you believe it up to the states, it is, it, its regulatory aims can still be fulfilled without having that additional layer. The CCP, a, you know, kind of provides this framework with this idea that there isn't a private right of action now. But I think everybody who's watching that law believes that depending on how it rolls out and once the law has been in effect for a couple of years, probably the potential for an expansion to a private right of action is possible, if not through the CCPA directly through other laws. Um, so those are my thoughts on on the initiatives. The initiatives are not surprising. I think everybody believes that the federal at a federal level, you're going to have see more and more privacy initiatives. Yeah, and this bill or these bills in particular, while there is the potential that they have implications in contact tracing and things like that, what really stands out to me is that you're go- probably going to have a lot of companies that collect employee health data that weren't before, obviously, as it relates to going back to work in terms of temperature checks or apps that companies may ask their employees to download that every morning asks, how are you feeling today? Something like that, or even more invasive information. And this at the very least would require a regulatory framework in terms of affirmative consent and notice as that information is collected because presumably it's being beamed back to the company and stored somewhere. And uh, both of these bills very specifically only extend through the end of the public health emergency and, and then go away. So I think that they're specifically designed for that. But as Will, as you mentioned, if there is a private right of action, you're, you're going to see a lot of companies violate these bills and not be all that careful in their compliance. And so that will, I mean, as somebody who works with the ADA, you know what it looks like when you have a lot of companies that offend in a relatively minor matter, but uh, it, it creates this whole private regulatory system. Right, which can be very taxing on businesses, and at a, a specific time, in our in our in the economy, that's a difficult thing for businesses to have to deal with. Plus, you have to understand that the businesses are also going to have to come up to speed and deal with these new issues. And already, we're seeing, and when I talk to employ, you know clients today, there's a lot of issues around. Uh, employee safety that are happening right now. If you're doing temperature checks, you know, compliance with HIPAA and other issues where this law, these these uh, proposed laws definitely intersect with all of that. And I think allowing for a private right of action just makes it even more confusing that we can have a good regulatory framework where, you know, with businesses do the things that they need to do without putting that added pressure of somebody bringing a lawsuit on top of that, at least for the short term. I'm not saying, look, you mentioned the ADA at the same time, there can be positive effects in terms of getting compliance uh, from people uh, and, and adherence to the regulatory structures that come from 
putting uh, from bringing lawsuits, but that isn't always the case. And, and today, right now in this economy, I think it would be a very difficult challenge for businesses. I think an interesting aspect of this thing, going back to the concept of contact tracing, and I know that this is actually going to bleed into, I think, our second conversation as well, but just seeing how businesses, because forgetting even employees, like I've heard a, uh, there are now instances in certain areas, I don't think it's Los Angeles, but you've heard that like restaurants are now kind of taking uh, information down of their, of their, their uh, patrons, their, the people who are attending the restaurant, because let's say that you end up getting, uh, let's say that you end up testing positive for COVID. And then when you have a, a, tra- a tracer actually documenting all the places that you attended, one of those things is going to be any kind of public setting space that you've been into, including certain private institutions that include restaurants or bars or shop, you know, the, uh, or a uh, grocery store. And so I'm interested to see how they specify what happens to that kind of data. And because as with both of these bills, they require affirmative consent before the point of collection. And so if, for example, if a restaurant starts taking certain personal information down of their customers just to keep track of who's came and who left, are they actually doing affirmative consent? What does affirmative consent look like in this instance? Are people going to start signing waivers before going into restaurants? So as with anything that goes through Congress, you're going to see, or at least I would anticipate a lot of changes occurring, especially towards the last minute. I know that the Democrat bill already has it's not necessarily an amendment, but I know that it also has voting voting rights and voting discrimination uh, sections in it as well. So I anticipate that there will be more additions to whichever bill ends up getting passed. So I'm curious to see how they tackle certain private businesses that take in a lot of customers, a lot of physical customers that are going to be attending their establishments. Yeah, I think one thing that's definitely going to start happening if they're if you are required to take down data or certainly in the contract tact tracing issues is, and I realize that this is the public, the government that would be taking down the contract tracing information, but I think you're going to start seeing people and restaurants requiring more people to make reservations before they do dine in. And that in those reservation systems, you're probably going to start seeing checkboxes, which say, I understand by making this reservation that I'm taking the risk of getting COVID and I'm start, and I understand that there, you know, you maybe take my temperature and I consent to that before I make the reservation. I mean, I can tell you right now uh, as a parent, uh, everything that your kid might sign up to do out in the greater world, including for taking like a private sports lesson, you now sign a two page waiver with multiple check boxes on them about your understandings. And that's part of the new reality. And I think, you know, data, gathering of data and and keeping that data private is going to become a a significant issue. It was already becoming a serious issue, but now with the health crisis as well, it's going to become at the front of mind. I think in addition to that, I think it's also consent, what we define consent to be, what we define informed consent, especially at the point of collection. Because I I anticipate that a lot of the lawsuits that do it, if they end up getting filed in these sort of things, it's going to be from plaintiffs who claim that they were not properly notified of what was being collected. Uh, Daniel, I know that you had, um, I know that there was 
like a, a lawsuit that I know that you had been following that goes into the biometric aspect of it. But um, yeah, what it, what is what is your thoughts on these two on these two bills? Well, uh, one of the provisions that I think is actually probably the most impactful, and again, I don't know exactly how you would enforce this part of it, but at least the Democrat bill requires data minimization or requires that the data that's collected be only that required for the purposes thereof. And as you know, one of the main elements of privacy by design and things like that, that we peddle to our clients is that collecting more data than you need, even as it may be tempting, puts you in trouble and gives you these affirmative duties to protect it. Here, I think what we don't want to see, or what at least the uh, politicians who propose these bills don't want to see, are companies that put their clients through a whole, or put their employees or customers or whoever this ends up applying to through a whole physical and collect a lot more health data than they need. Where if a temperature check or a are you feeling well today test would end up being enough. So I think that as we end up seeing kind of an expanded framework, as you guys were alluding to, or health waivers, you know, we are already seeing political rallies that are asking attendees to waive liability for contracting COVID. I think enforcing data minimization as it becomes more clear what data is the most relevant to whether somebody is COVID positive or is a risk to themselves or to others, it'll be important to make sure that the people collecting this data stick to what is actually the most necessary. And actually, we're turning to our third bill that we were going to talk about today. There is also the Exposure Notification Privacy Act, which does at least have some bipartisan support. This is a bill that's much more closely focused on contact tracing. And it we don't have the full text of the bill yet, so this is all based on news reports and interviews. But basically, the data that's collected for coronavirus monitoring uh, could not be used for commercial purposes, and the individuals about whom the data is collected could delete it. It also includes basic privacy provisions like a la- like notification in case of a breach and additional penalties by the government to penalize privacy and security abuses. And so I think that we're going to continue to see bills like this that are focused on collection and analysis of data by companies, both of consumers and employees, as well as much more so that if contact tracing does turn into something like an app that we can all have and see where the positive cases are around us, that none of that violates anybody's privacy beyond what they've already consented to. And so, Weiss, as you were alluding to, the second topic we're going to talk about today is biometrics. And the main news hook on this is that in the wake of the uh, protests around the country, Microsoft, Amazon, and IBM have all stopped their sales of facial recognition technology to law enforcement, calling for Congress to put out facial recognition legislation and make sure that there is a regulatory framework. Now, there is some law that we can already look at, and particularly where we are in the northern, or where I am, at least in the Northern District of California, and where we all are in the Ninth Circuit, 
there's a very interesting case called Patel versus Facebook. Just to describe a little bit of the background, Patel versus Facebook was a law was a lawsuit brought against Facebook alleging violation of the Illinois biometric law and basically sets out that the uh, Facebook's practice of creating facial profiles violates the biometrics act. Essentially the way that works is that when somebody's photo is uploaded to Facebook, Facebook analyzes the photo, analyzes things like how wide apart somebody's eyes are, uh, the size of um, the location of where everything is on the face, um, a lot of other analysis and basically creates a facial profile so that then when you upload another photo, Facebook compares that photo with all the profiles that's already created and says, wait a minute, is this Will Miller or is this somebody different? And the way it does that is because it has a profile of Will Miller somewhere in its database. Now that, according to the plaintiffs, the class action in Patel versus Facebook violates Illinois' biometrics law because it didn't obtain any of the necessary consent before it ran those biometric tests. The big news in that case is that the Ninth Circuit affirmed class certification and held that there was standing and in so doing found that the protections of the Illinois biometric law basically grant a concrete protection, a concrete right rather than a merely procedural right. Now, the way that we may see that applied in California is that California is that the CCPA also includes protection of biometric law or biometrics and one could easily see that the Ninth Circuit or a district court in the Ninth Circuit would quote from Patel versus Facebook in the Ninth Circuit as a finding that the CCPA's biometric provisions also grant a concrete substantive right rather than a procedural right. And we may see more lawsuits in that field. Now, Will, I know that you are somebody who's been following the biometrics and biometric law pretty closely. Did you have some thoughts on how Patel may influence California law or what we might see from a federal biometrics law? Sure. If you look at the CCPA, it already anticipates the need to protect this data and to get consents. The facial recognition issue actually is is pretty widespread at this point. Uh, I actually just watched a uh, John Oliver special that discussed the, the the facial recognition issue, and he went over a lot of the same these, these concepts about consent and what is the the facial recognition is being used for and particularly the issues that have recently been highlighted by Google, IBM, Amazon, and others with regard to using the facial recognition software for nefarious purposes, including potentially to inhibit free speech and otherwise. You know, you have to note that that against this backdrop that, that China is already using a program called Skynet that runs really sophisticated, I know it's from Terminator, on purpose apparently, uh, really sophisticated facial recognition software that's used very widely and it's used to track people and their movements and who they associate with and it's done openly by the government. And I think that it's against that backdrop that the technology already exists. It can be used effectively 
it isn't necessarily 100% accurate either. So that's a whole other issue. But I think when this isn't some kind of, you know, emerging issue that isn't going to be actually something that people in the United States have to deal with. It, the technology exists. It can be used in a, pra in a practical way. And it has to be dealt with. And that's when the CCPA already put that in there. So I think that, that you know, Patel is just a logical extension of that, where the court's recognizing what, what the government and people in business and the industry already recognize, which is facial recognition software and its extension through artificial intelligence is here. It's probably going to expand and that the CCPA and probably federal legislation like the CCPA, which has got to be in the offing here pretty soon, are going to deal with these issues and require companies who are going to gather this information to get consent. And if they, even if they get consent, that people will be able to, to see what data has been collected, how it's been used, and, and request that it be deleted. Um, I think those are reasonable steps, especially since the wide-ranging potential use and abuse of something like biometrics and facial recognition software. I, I do want to point out that the difference between Patel and the CCPA, or at least the other biometrics laws, that I believe that had a, a private right of action for a general breach, whereas, or sorry, for a general violation of the statute. Whereas I feel like with the, C I mean, with the CCPA as of right now, at least, there is no private right of action for just pure violations of the CCPA. Now, granted, that is the law as constructed now. We, who knows if for those who have listened to episode one, <laughs> that uh, violations of the CCPA could give rise to an underlying uh, unfair co competition claim. So we, uh, while as of right now, CCPA does not cover just general violations in terms of their private right of action. So when it comes to the parallels to, to the Patel case, now, if assuming at some point we get a federal legislation and if the federal legislation mirrors something similar to the federal legislation when it comes to the emergency health care, health information, and it ends up having a private right of action for any violation, then we can see this problem happening. So it's, it's certainly important to follow that case. And it's certainly important to see because if a federal legislation happens, if the CCPA ends up being preempted, which I'm sure the federal government wants to do at some point then we're going to see these lawsuits inevitably get filed where they have a full right of action. And now if they extend out what Patel is, they also have an injury in fact. So they would have Article 3 standing. I'm trying to get everyone to watch episode one as well. So I'm tying in a lot there. So for those who are listening to this, as soon as this one's over, if you had not listened to episode one, please listen to episode one. I was, I was in that one as well. So I have a bias, but I would, I would check it out. You're such an effective hype man, Weiss. I appreciate it. I think, I think what you're saying is totally correct. I, what's interesting is that if we are going to see government enforcement, this is addressing your private right of action point, if we are going to see the attorney general bring some sort of enforcement action, I'm guessing Facebook is pretty high up on the list of who they may target. Obviously, we don't know if lobbying and things like that will end up affecting it. I, I guess the question that I'm trying to think about is, is there a way that Facebook and these other biometric companies or companies that deal with facial recognition software could operate within a regulatory framework? Now, the problem with Facebook is that 
when I sign up for Facebook or when I upload photos, I don't have, I might consent to them analyzing my photo. But if I upload a photo that has a picture of Weiss on it, which I haven't done, but could one day, then do they then need to reach out to him who had no part in me uploading this photo and say, we want to analyze this. Similarly, if you have public cameras, you know, CCTV cameras that are scanning people's faces, there's clearly not an opportunity to go up to them and say, sign this waiver, or click through this button. And so is there a way that we can actually have a, an effective regulatory framework where these types of companies can exist that are still kind of getting affirmative notice and consent? Because the only way I can think about that is if you if they could somehow entice people to give blanket consent that their face can get scanned and analyzed as much as any company wants to do so, which seems kind of counter to the spirit of most of these laws. Well, I think you, there's two, maybe two separate discussions there, right? The first one is if you belong, if you join Facebook, I think you're going to see, I haven't looked at their terms of use and conditions lately to see whether or not it includes a consent to facial recognition issues or using, I know it has consents with regard to all sorts of other uses and issues, and it obviously has CCPA consents involved with it as well. So you're going to see, you may see a click here to consent specifically to use in different types of uses, and then maybe have a functionality on Facebook that's restricted based on what your use profile is. I also think it's not, it's not a completely, out of uh, the realm of possibility that as we go through with the biometrics that there's a decision like there is on generally um, about whether when you're out in public, right? When you're in a public plaza, you go to a mall and there's security cameras there and they're running recognition software. Do you have to give a confirmed consent if you're out in public in a public space and they're running facial recognition uh, to for, you know, public security things like that. I mean, there's a bunch of other countries that have had that debate or having that debate right now. So that's where I think that thing goes. But as for private businesses that are going to be regulated by laws like the CCPA or, or federal laws that are being proposed, I think what you're going to, they're going to deal with it the way we deal with it now, which is that they're going to ask for a form of consent in when you initially sign on to be a part of the site or if it, the law changes when you log in your Facebook and they need you to, to sign a consent that you have a pop-up box, and which is the way a lot of people have dealt with the CCPA, right? I mean, you see these boxes everywhere now. Yeah, the, the interesting thing with that is, especially using the Facebook example, that a lot of these data mining companies take the position also that uh, photos on Facebook are publicly available information. So if Daniel and I were to take that famous picture that we would be taking hopefully soon once this whole thing goes out. Although Daniel also had a bunch of photos with the San Francisco Giants. So as an LA resident, I'm not sure I'm allowed to take a picture with him, but I have to look into that. But whether or not even that's considered public information, right? It's if you upload it on Facebook, are you basically opening the door for it to be public? In which case, can a private company scrape that data, pull, pull my face from that? And at no point was I ever informed or aware of that happening. So I'm curious to see, especially as, as Daniel pointed out, that this is becoming more and more relevant and becoming more and more a topic of conversation. And 
whether or not these certain laws that get promulgated, how much of them inform the, the fact that what do we define as public information at this point? And what do we define as uh, pulling things from public, from public spaces? What is a public space at this point? Who am I? I don't know. I'm, I'm having all sorts well, of philosophical <laughs> debates. That's a great point. I mean, that's, ex- that's exactly the types of things that I, I think are going to be the big arguments because we understand and I think most people understand that if you're walking through the parking lot to the gym and somebody, random person, takes your picture, that you can't go after them and necessarily have action against them for evading your privacy rights, right? But the the, the public-private space debate kind of goes beyond what we're talking about here, but it is absolutely going to be one of the new forefronts as well uh, about name and image and likeness control and what is public and what is publication to a public space. I agree completely wise. So Facebook actually did turn off their tag suggestion or at least made it so that new users would have to consent to it and anyone who didn't, it would be turned off. My question, and maybe there is just an answer to this, is if you have to analyze a face to figure out whether that person has consented, right? Uh, Weiss and I are both Facebook users. Let's say all three of us are Facebook users. Weiss and I have both consented to facial analysis. Will has not. We upload a photo with the three of us. They don't know whether Will has consented until they analyze Will's face and figure out, oh, this is Will. Whoops. Now, is that a problem that has an answer? Or are they allowed to analyze a face so that they can figure out whether they were allowed to analyze a face? Maybe we don't have an answer to that. I would also point out that one of the proposed amendments for the CCPA was specifically focused on facial recognition. The idea was that businesses that included facial recognition would have to have a physical sign outside of the building or at least outside of the physical space in which there was facial recognition technology being employed so that uh, consumers could basically opt out by not patronizing the business. I know that there was concern at the time that this would basically just create a situation where companies would turn on facial recognition and say, well, if you don't want your face to be scanned, then you can't patronize our business or consumer goods or services. That didn't end up getting worked out because the amendment was dropped. Uh, it wasn't technically defeated, but it was moved to inactive status. So who knows if that's something that's going to come back, but it's at least something that was considered being added to the CCPA on top of the existing protection of biometrics, which currently is just including biometric information in the definition of personal information. I think that the, the privacy issue just raised about signs. I mean, you see signs now that say, you know, please be aware you're on camera. You see those all the time. If you have an Arlo home security camera system, they have little signs that give you with the kit at, at Costco that say, please be aware that you're being recorded. Uh, but I think there are also really interesting uh, constitutional, including the First Amendment issues, that if you say, I want to go to this McDonald's, but McDonald's says, if unless I consent to this particular franchise consents to facial recognition software, I'm not allowed to go there. Is my wanting to keep my face and likeness private or not be scanned in by McDonald's 
a constitutional right in which they're abridging by refusing me service based on that decision. I mean, this is, this is, these are all the big, big, big picture issues. And we know privacy is a protected right. And so these are the big, big issues that are going to have to be dealt with in terms of how privacy is going to impact our daily lives, not just in how we, you know, the CCPA mainly deals with how people, what you gather information when you're out on the internet. As, and so, but the privacy issue goes far beyond that is, is what information you're giving out by just accessing the world. And so these are all the issues that are going to come forward. And, and I believe it's, it's, it's the, going to be one of the primary battleground issues of the next decade. Well, I think we could talk for another couple hours about biometrics and facial recognition, but nobody wants to listen to that. So we'll we be can, sure we to can, update we can, this. We can also just uh, all watch Minority Report because I think most, <laughs> sure. of, most of this was, in, was a plot line of that movie. That's yeah, right. when, when people are walking by and seeing ads pop up tailored to them because what they scan their eyes. I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking about when Will was talking about Skynet but <laughs> it was anyway, also John yeah. Wick and other movies. I mean, this is it's oh, true. Yeah. This, this reality uh, of advertising based on facial recognition has been predicted by mediocre sci-fi movies for years. <laughs> well, I take offense to that, but I'll let Daniel sign us <laughs> okay, off. Okay, fine. They're great sci-fi movies. We could have that debate. That's a different podcast. Great and mediocre sci-fi movies. At least you didn't include Blade Runner in there. Well, which I consider mediocre, but that's a whole nother controversial take. Anyway, exactly. we'll be sure to update these issues as they, uh, as we have more clarity on them. I'm sure Congress is going to move quickly on this as they do on just about everything. Um, thank you again for listening. We're joined today by Will Miller from LA, Weiss Hamid from LA. Stay safe, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to the listeners who are listening to this. We'll be back in two weeks with episode three. And with that, enjoy our outro music. <laughs>